Now and then, you'll see my ugly mug pop up in one of these episodes. I'll join as I'm able, and I'm able today, and I'm pretty happy. I'm uh, happy to be here, catch up with my buddy Rupesh, the foremost nobody. I, of course, am the lesser nobody, Kyle. And sort of like the last episode with the both of us, we don't really have anything planned today. We're just going to treat this as a bit of an excuse <laughs> to to uh, chat and catch up and see what's going on in each other's lives, and just bring you along for. That roller coaster ride of emotions. Um, so yeah, so just bear with us. But first, most importantly, let's bring in the foremost nobody, Rupesh. Buddy, how you doing? I'm doing good. You talk about emotions. I'm feeling a little spicy right now. A little, yeah. So I'm in the middle of a 36-hour water fast. I don't even know. Like, don't you die after two days with no water or something? Shit. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. You should look this up. Isn't that a... I think they say after four or five days, you need to be sort of medically supervised if you're going to do these water fasts. Because there are, there are, so there are clinics out there that do medically supervised water fasts. Okay. And I think the premise behind that is, you know, detoxing and all kinds of other stuff, stuff that I'm never going to get into on that level. But uh, I've been intermittent fasting for, I want to say a year and a half. Been doing. uh, So you haven't had water in a long time? I've so had water. Thing? I haven't had beer, and I yes, I haven't had calories in a little while. So, sorry. No, that's okay. Um, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, so, why are you doing a thirty-six hour water fast? I, 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 I've never even heard of it. I, I didn't know that was even a thing. Well, so yeah, I mean, I think I think there there are a lot of people who are doing like three day water fast. I've been doing this intermittent fasting for like the sixteen eight protocols. Is that? make any sense to you i don't know it, if you it, uh, I, I sort of hate when people call intermittent fasting intermittent fasting because i heard somebody once call it just skipping breakfast and that's basically what it is and i, and I get that like everybody who who doesn't uh who does intermittent fasting doesn't choose that eight hour window that would include lunch and right. dinner yeah so basically you just skip breakfast and then you have an eight hour window where you eat whatever you want right yeah. Um, but then you don't eat anything outside that eight-hour window, and so most people just don't eat breakfast, right? Is, is that that's that's pretty what's much? Up? I mean, for, for I mean, you're fasting obviously during the nighttime, which is why breakfast is breaking the fast. Uh, but I would say, like, I used to eat breakfast seven thirty before I'd hop on the bus and go to work, right? And then I slowly started pushing it and got to about nine, ten thirty, and now I can go to eleven thirty, twelve o'clock, and it's been interesting because I always felt so dependent on breakfast and I love breakfast. Like, as you know, waffles, right? That's my thing. Love. I love breakfast, but there was something like a part of me that was just like, I felt like a slave to it. You know, it's like I had to have that seven 30 morning breakfast in order to function at work or whatever I was going to do for the rest of the day. Do you feel that way with lunch though? Like, like, so now well, not, I, by lunch? the time I get to lunch, I definitely feel like I need to eat something, but I just, just the rush of the morning. I just don't feel like I'm always enjoying breakfast. I just feel sure. like I'm having to sure. scarf that down. It's not like mindful eating the way I'd want to eat. And so I just felt like I was kind of like a little bit of a slave to it as much as I enjoy it. So it's been nice with the 16, eight to feel like, okay, I don't really need to have it. But by the time lunchtime comes around, I'm, I'm really hungry. So I was, you know, these seen and read a lot of people who are doing these 36, uh, starting at 36, three day water fast. And some people have been doing it for some time and they say they've been talking about benefits of like mental clarity and just self-discipline and, you know, change the body composition and blah, 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 blah. Now, I mean, if I gain a fifth or sixth ab in this process, <laughs> that'd be great, but <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be the case, but, but I, what I'm hoping for is at least just, I just want to experience sort of how I go through the day, like whether I can have self-control. And, and I just find that if you have like this self-control, like how empowering is that? So, yeah, so I'm in 24 hours now officially. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, like, been, so like 12 hours left. So you 12 just hours like left. have a good sleep tonight, wait like have an hour in the morning and then just I'm a bit anxious though. a bunch of water. I'm a bit anxious because, 
you know, it's the whole notion of like going to bed on an empty stomach. Like I've never, I've never not, not, I mean, not that I ever remembered. I've never gone a day without eating, right? Like I've always. Well, so you, so is this just a, is this just water? Like you ate lunch and supper today or you haven't had anything? No, no, haven't had anything. Not a single calorie, nothing. Yeah. So just water. And then I've been actually really, really careful about like, um, so Michelle was like, oh, I think you could take this powder, right? And so it was, I had a bunch of electrolytes because you can't just drink water. You got to have to make sure you have some, those important minerals like sodium and magnesium and all that kind of stuff. So I was, uh, I knew I was always going to use a little bit of like Himalayan salt because Himalayan salt has traces of good minerals as well. So I knew I was going to put some of that in my water and, and drink that every so often just for electrolytes. But Michelle had this electrolyte powder, so I was gonna try it. And so I was reading, we were reading the ingredients, and it had something like beetroot in it. And I was like, oh no, I don't know if that has like a little bit of a calorie. And I honestly just wanted to do this completely like no calories. And so we looked online, and it said that it was a low calorie electrolyte powder. I was like, f it, Can't not do doing it. it. Can't yeah. do it. So um, even like I'm gonna be taking like a magnesium supplement uh, tonight, uh, and it comes in comes in the capsule and michelle's like oh she's like the capsule could be made of like some sort of like corn or whatever are you gonna break i was like oh i was like oh i I hate you right now so she's like you could just dump it in the water and have it that way like take you know take out the powder or the capsule and then do it that way so i'm gonna i'm I'm, i've been clean so far no calories is the first time i've ever done this in my life as far as i know so otherwise it'd probably be child abuse if that happened early on so (laughs) so what like what are you doing when your family's eating lunch and supper Man, so we went to Costco today. Oh, that's a mistake. Of course Free I did. Free samples? Yes. Come on. Uh, but that was part of like the whole test for me. <clears throat> I was like, okay, just go to Costco. And I found that the fruits and vegetables didn't have a problem. As soon as it got to like the processed foods, and even though I don't eat that stuff, mm. uh, and all like I was I was having a hard time. Of course, the, the, the salty fats. Like, yeah, and just like... wanting to eat like instant food, you know? Yeah. So that that was that was kind of tough. But then supper time, Michelle made steak and potatoes, and and just smelled amazing. Yeah, and Ravina's just like, "Daddy, it's supper time. You gonna eat?" And she's like, "Why wouldn't you not eat?" Like, of course she doesn't understand, and I don't know if I really understand at this point. I was just gonna say, but, "I'm with her. I don't get it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, anyways, no, yeah, good I have you, man. twelve it's, hours. Um... I'm gonna try and see what happens. Uh, see how I feel, but uh, I, I'm getting to a state now where I'm feeling a little bit of like lightness and clarity. Like there's sometimes where I get a little bit of anxiety that creeps in, but I feel like I'm past that point. 16 hours, like when I normally would eat, 16 to 20 hours was incredibly tough. And then leading into dinner was really, really um, tough as well. But after dinner, I feeling like, okay, you're at like the tail end of this thing get through this podcast and then you just have to go to bed and you know so we'll see what happens but yeah we should have rebooked and recorded when you like ate your first morsel of food maybe just well, I, I wanted to I, I thought it would, i thought it'd be interesting it's another good test right just to see how i function through this podcast or testing think... yourself man good yeah. and you know self-control um it's an incredible ability to have like it's an incredible skill to have to be able to it's really, really strong self-control. I mean, that sort of leads to everything, right? I mean, and I, I feel like, you know, we, we'll talk about mindfulness sometimes and all that stuff. And mm. um, I, I think all of that is sort of linked as to where you're really, really in touch with your brain, really in touch with your emotions, really in touch with how your body reacts to things and really in touch with um, your actions. And um, like when you're reacting to certain things, and to be able to have the form of self-control where <laughs> I don't know, man, that's, I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I, I don't think I've ever, even like, you know, in high school, they'd have, um, what was the, the charity 40 hour famine or whatever it's called where you'd stay at the school overnight and like nobody mm, could eat right. anything and you'd do it together. Yeah. I never even did that. Like, I don't know the longest I've fasted probably before like a blood test or something. You have to fast for 12 hours or whatever, but I would mm. just do it in the morning. Mm. Um, I don't know. Interesting experiment. And it's funny that it's an experiment. Like, like this is you sort of seeing how you react to it and seeing if you can do it. And I don't know, testing yourself, which is, which is incredibly noble, I think, but also <laughs> that's tough, man. Like you're hard on yourself. Yeah. I don't know. I think it, 
I, I wouldn't recommend it for like if you haven't been you know first of all i think you have to be mentally prepared everyone who says they've like who's gotten who have watched online who've gotten through it and who have not gone through it, the ones who haven't gone through it they haven't prepared themselves mentally they're just like oh i've decided to do this i've been thinking about this particular weekend for a month month and a half right so i knew it was going to be this weekend um i've been doing intermittent fasting so i think i've set myself up really well i think the I woke up though, which was interesting. I woke up for the first time with anxiety because I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to eat for the rest of the day. Last night I was like, fine. I was like, okay, I can get 16 hours, do that all the time. And so I went to bed, no problem. But then it was the, it was the morning time and I was like, oh shoot, I'm not going to eat for the rest of the day. And that was really starting to get me all worked up. And I felt like I was losing, I was using energy unnecessarily. And mm. so that was, uh, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, but that's... I I will say I have been I've been vlogging it though like I just kind of took some videos of myself just kind of talking through it just to because yeah. this is the first time I'm doing it so yeah anyway so what so is there a project that's gonna come out of this like a like a little video uh, documentary of the of the process and all that stuff I don't know how interesting this is gonna be if I actually put it online mm-hmm. it'll be interesting people that are considering just, yeah. you know, doing a 36 hour no water fast yeah well we can talk about that but um, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so that's that's kind of going on with me. Uh, what right what now, are the but... impacts to, like your kidneys for not having water for thirty six hours? Well, I'm having water. Oh shit! Oh, oh, I thought you said no water. I thought this no, whole I time you were like, fast. I'm on thirty six hour no water fast. No, no, that's that's stupid. why. Oh man, people are gonna think I'm so dumb because I was like, wait, you're eating food or you're not eating food? I thought that you were saying that you were <laughs> off of water. No, like no. you were doing, you were absolutely nothing. Okay, so you are drinking water. I am drinking water. Oh, Remember, right. I said well, that I was going to have electrolyte powder and everything. Like yeah, that, well, I then... was going to question you on that. I was, gonna, but oh. I didn't want to. Anyways, I didn't want to like harsh your buzz. Um, no. All right, so it's, it's, no, it's just strictly fast. water, no calories, just strictly water. Got it. Okay, now I understand yes. what you're getting at. Okay, yes. sorry. And I'll have trace I'm... minerals, like I'll have sodium and magnesium and all that kind of stuff. But there's no calories associated. It's just the minerals because I'm just Got putting it. Himalayan salt. So. And you can drink as much water as you want. I mean, just drink it normally, right? You're not changing anything about that. I mean, it's you a little like warmer. So you might I remember I, was, I read this book once where uh, there was a very poor family, but they had access to water or whatever it is. And so her dad would say, drink a bunch of water and then have a mm. bit of food so you feel fuller. So I'm just, mm. you could, if you're feeling really hungry, and it probably wouldn't help because you know, there's obviously no calories in it. But if you just drink like, I don't know, two and a half liters of water just to feel full for a minute. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that's. I mean, that's the way it works, right? Your stomach, when it expands, it essentially the the sensory feedback to your brain tells you you're full, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you know, that's. But yeah, it it doesn't last very long, though, right? No way, because there's no nutritional value yeah. other than well, yeah. you know, water, pretty important. But yeah. all right, well, I feel like a real idiot in the first. Um... No, I can see how it can get kind of confusing. Uh, a water fast, I guess you could interpret it the other way around. So yeah, so, yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm an idiot. I don't know. We haven't been sleeping <laughs> super good. It's too damn hot. I, guess. <laughs> I don't know. That's embarrassing. People are going to be like, "These guys are idiots." I'm never watching another episode again. <laughs> um, okay, so you're fasting for 36 hours. Got it. Yeah. No calories, yeah. but you can have no. water. Yeah. Got it. And then I'm gonna. I'm thinking I'm gonna break the fast with waffles. Uh, no, actually, I'm going to have a cup of bone broth. Oh. So so Michelle's been doing some research in that, uh, you know, well, I, this is not shouldn't be new, but bone broth is very, very healing to your gut, right? But there's some, there's some, I don't know how, I'm not sure what the research looks like, but she's been telling me that there's some research to show that to break the fast, bone broth is really a great thing to use. So I'm going to mm-hmm. do that, and then I'm going to bring in the waffles. But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> As a clean you up don't with my waffles. I, I understand. I, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I don't understand bone broth. Like, is because like when I make broth, I just boil basically a bunch of bones. Like, I'll just put a chicken in a pot okay. of water and I'll boil it for hours. Yeah. It's, but so, what's bone broth? Like, why do people call it bone broth versus just broth? Well, I think because you can have broth with like just vegetables, right? Like, you could have. It doesn't have to be. Um, like, in some people may maybe they cook the maybe they make the broth without the bones i'm not sure but i mean you can get broth in all kinds of other ways right yeah totally um, but I, I get, anyways i just figured like if you're making yeah, a broth with like a meat or something 
generally okay. that it's going to have a bone in it because that's where yeah, most of the flavor yeah. comes from. So, um, anyway, so I, I just never really understood the process, but like the difference between bone broth and like like beef broth or chicken stock or whatever it is. But um, we just made a whole uh, whole ton of um, bone broth because uh, we got these stewing hens. Do you know what stewing hens are? No. Well, I mean, not well, sorry, they're not called stewing hens. These are the hens that the, the egg layer hens. So we buy, you can buy them and then the meat's obviously tough, but they're great for making broth. And so we just put like three of them in a big, big, huge pot and made a ton of broth. And Oh, nice. Yeah. I heard that's the secret to good chicken soup. I, like whenever I make chicken soup, usually we roast a chicken on a Friday, let's say. Uh, I'll get all the, not all of it, like I'll get all the easily accessible meat off it, keep all the bones together and then I'll boil, mm. like the next day I'll boil Mm-hmm. you know the meat that remains and then all the bones for whatever three four hours whatever it is yeah and it's still bland but somebody's telling me that no no you need to get the birds put the whole bird in the water boil yes. it forever and then strain yes. it and that's how you get the really really rich broth because i'd find i'd be adding so much salt to my chicken soup because it never really had that strong sort of chicken soup flavor that you want which is generally pretty salty or like there's, well, that, not- there's a real nice like umami you know, flavor there that I was never getting. It was always bland. So I'll have to no, try. That's a hundred percent. That's a, we've bird. definitely experienced that Kyle. Like we, um, when we ever, we use the, the carcass or the remains from, you know, roasted chicken, it's not nearly as the same as when yeah. you do it from a fresh, from a fresh bird. So yeah, that's so now you just got a freezer full of, of, of bone broth. Yeah. But we, we go through it like crazy. Like we'll have a cup every day pretty much. And that's like the first thing that enters our stomach and we're feeling really good about it. Um, but it's, it's crazy. Cause so I think we calculate today, we have probably two weeks worth from three birds, but Michelle one time, cause we ran our broke broth, she decided to buy it from the store and like, like really clean stuff. And a small package was like $15 and it lasted one day. So it just goes to show like how expensive that stuff is. And we're, we're, I think we're saving a ton of money from this. So. Yeah, no doubt. But so you guys aren't, yeah. <clears throat> you're not using the stock in, in soup. Like you're like, you're just drinking it. Yeah, we, we're doing that right now. I mean, we have used the stock and soup in, in the past, but I think right now we're just focusing on drinking it. So nice, man! That'll yeah. be that'll taste so good tomorrow. And then I'm we, sorry, spray, we, we usually talk about it. no, it's all good. Um, I've gone through Costco and supper. Like this is not gonna. <laughs> I don't think this is gonna phase you at this point. But what I was gonna say is that we also scoop up the fat. Yeah. From and then we use the fat for like cooking chicken and stuff. Okay, so it's like it's like try to complete the cycle. So. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. guys, your culinary world is on just a completely different planet than than mine. Like, you guys are so thoughtful, so deliberate, so like planned. Um, it's impressive. It's honestly impressive that, that like how you guys sort of treat food mm. and your relationship with food. And I don't know. I'm always uh, I always enjoy hearing you talk about it because it's um, I don't know. It's just so well thought out. I I feel like. I don't, I, I like, it was never like this, like growing up. I remember just kind of scarfing down food and not really caring about anything, but it's interesting to kind of, I mean, I don't know if with Avina, we try to have her be a mindful eater and, and really take time and we have her say our gratefuls and stuff like that, but I'm hoping that'll, I'm hoping the practices will rub off on her and she'll be that way because I was never that way, but it's such a great feeling to just focus on on what you're eating right and just be sort of really with your food and and enjoying it in that way i find that whenever i scarf things down i never digest it properly hmm. yeah so you how yeah. long do you think it takes you to eat an average supper it takes me uh i'm usually one of the last people to finish for sure yeah i've always been kind of a slow eater but then but then with uh, being more conscious about it, definitely, yeah, takes me time. But it's just so much more, so much more enjoyable. No doubt. Like, I'm sure you, I, because yeah. the thing is, I'm, you know, I'm the asshole that's, that's done first most times. Because I love, uh, I don't know, I just, <laughs> I love it and I get so excited and I just, like, want the flavors or something all at once. And so I just, like, I'm the, excuse me, I'm the jerk who's eating too fast at the table, I think, most of the time. So I could be more mindful with my approach to food, I think. Have you ever tried to just slow it down? Like one one tip that we use is we always try to just put our fork down between every bite. That's the one thing I've done, yeah. Uh, not consistently, and I don't know that I would 
I don't think I did it today when I had supper, but that's the mm. one thing that I've that when I am trying to slow down and be a little more that's exactly what I'll do. I'll put my put my utensils down and then put my hands on my lap as I'm eating. Mm. And then you know, putting it and it works. It certainly works. But I find sometimes and I don't know if you're like this, but when I'm hungry I'm not I'm not super and maybe this is, you know, part of this fast, but when I'm hungry it impacts my ability to do a lot of things. It's like when I'm short on sleep, like really impacts my ability to, you know, be patient and um, you know, to be reasonable and, and all mm-hmm. these things. And so if I'm really hungry and I sit down to eat, I, it's like this visceral thing where I just need to get as much of the food in me <laughs> to like mm-hmm. sort of suppress that, what, whoever that person is like that, yeah. uh, that, like nobody wants to be around. Um, cause I'm not, I'm not great to be around when I'm hungry, but I feel like you could, you could train that out of yourself. Like you could, you know, it's almost like you're doing, right? Like practice a bit more of a deliberate approach to food and understand and gain more self-control and sort of get a better understanding of how food affects you and how you are when you're hungry and take steps to, I don't know, maybe make yourself be a bit better of a person mm-hmm. when you're hungry and enjoy food a little bit more. I feel like you probably did that years ago, though. Like you, like this is. No, man. I, I tell you today, it was hard to play with Avina. It was so tough. Like she wanted to. Cause she just thinks it's a weekend, right? And the weekend is like, man, prime daddy time, right? Mm-hmm. Cause you know, it doesn't get that during the weekdays as much. And so she just wants to do all her role playing and all the same things that we do. And there were times where I just had to sit down. I just told her, it was like, I just try, I try not to show it to her. I just kind of gradually would bring it to the couch or, or I was like, let's go outside and sit in the hammock. <laughs> you know, and I just tell her like 30 stories because I just couldn't like physically, I was feeling like, kind of exhausted and definitely low energy and also just i was finding that i was a little bit snappier towards her and so i was just really the the great thing about it though is that like catching yourself right and it's like okay i feel a little bit more snappier right now what do i need to do to kind of is there anything i could do to counteract that maybe have a glass of water right now you know so all that is kind of cool because it's like okay if i can get through this then those because these are like survival urges right so Mm. it's like if you can get through these things then i almost feel like it kind of makes everything else easier now i'm not i don't i can't imagine that this one instance of 36 hours i'm gonna my memory is my you know i'm gonna have long-term memory from this to 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 remember okay these how i got through these survival instincts but you know i probably i might try it again at some point just to kind of every so often have that practice but you think you'd revisit um, hey to say i think so like almost see how you how you improved on it um it's like first time okay how, i was you know this is how it went and here's where i maybe didn't do so good second time okay here's the things i'm gonna work on i sort of know what i'm getting myself into now yeah i think i'd be curious to be like okay now i know what to expect but because it's survival instincts and these feelings like will the fact that i know what i'm gonna expect counteract that in any way i'd be i'm actually very curious about that so that's the thing that's the reason i would probably would want to do that again this hmm. yeah. man so that's probably that's probably pretty consuming <laughs> right now like yeah. i was gonna say well what the rest of your week how's the rest of your week <laughs> what what else I, is going on but i'm yeah i wonder no if you can even capacity think for thinking about no not at all <laughs> i've been i've been thinking about this this fast for like probably since tuesday of this week i'm like okay it's coming it's coming <laughs> And I made sure I had a good meal on Friday. And, what was the last meal? Uh, it was quesadillas, chicken quesadillas. Wow. It was so good. Love quesadillas. And yeah, like, so you know good. me, I love that Tex-Mex. Yeah, yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah, love it. It was good. And then uh, we actually eat something that's super easy, Kyle, which um, we'll have to, when you come over the next time, we'll have to do for you. But um, do you have a, I don't know if you have a good blender. We have a Vitamix. And so what we do is we put, so we put just frozen fruit, a little bit of ice, some like, little bit of coconut cream and just crush it in the blender man it's so delicious it's like it's kind of like ice cream but there's like no we don't add any sugar to it is, is coconut it's, cream you just mean like the like the hard part of coconut milk what's coconut yeah cream? so when you the can or whatever yeah. we put in the fridge and then it creams up right uh, and i think we talked about this a little bit but we talked about the but, like the whipped cream that you can make with like the the dense yes. part of coconut milk. right yeah, so taking that dense part and then adding like a couple of tablespoons to that so you get a little bit of the fattiness in there. 
mixed with like the natural flavors of frozen fruit, crushing that together. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's money, hey? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I had that Friday night too. So. <laughs> All right. So quesadillas and like a little coconut fruit ice cream milkshake yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to talk so. about food anymore, man. That's, you know, sorry to make you bring it up. No, no, don't be sorry. <laughs> this is what I, I purposely have done this. So it's, it was my choice. It's all good. <laughs> but you know what I have been thinking about, which we, I feel like we should have a little bit of a conversation about, which mm. is the whole non GMO organic thing. Yeah. Okay. I haven't, th- I haven't been thinking about it much at all, but let's, uh, yeah, we can chat about it. What's going on? Okay. Well, well, so, cause I think you said that if something is organic, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's non GMO, correct? Uh, that was my understanding. Yeah, something can be organic and non-GMO, or and okay. but still be genetically modified. Okay, so so if something is certified organic, that means that it can't have GMO ingredients in it, and the yeah. other pieces are is that can't have pesticides, herbicides, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. If something is non-GMO, then it has like it can still have pesticides and herbicides and all that kind of stuff. So that's really like sort of the difference between the two. So if you're if you're if you're like USDA USDA organic or I'm pretty sure I'm sure the Canadian certification as well would do this as well uh, would have the same kind of standards. But um, you're covered in terms of it being non-GMO. Hmm, interesting. I didn't know that. I always thought that you could you could have because in, in my mind and this is probably uh, due to my sort of shallow understanding of of both categorizations or both um, labels. I suppose organic was just like no pesticides used in in, mm. in the growing of the food and then non-gmo was you know they hadn't altered the uh, dna of whatever it is th- right, th- right. that you're eating but the two things could be separate so i didn't understand i didn't realize that organic could incorporate a gmo um yeah so it's like the higher standard essentially interesting okay good to know i'm still fine with gmos though um and i, I also yeah. think that it's um and obviously not all of them and like monsanto and like there's a bunch of dicks that do a bunch of shitty thing and there's no doubt that that's like that that, that stuff should stop um but i i think that people altering the dna of a food in the lab versus people um intentionally breeding different kinds of like people have been selectively breeding foods for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years mm-hmm. that's why certain things like carrots look the way they do as opposed to what they actually would look like in nature and to me that's sort of a similar form of evolution is just speeding up evolution or i mean evolution is not the word but we've been selectively breeding the food that we eat and the food that you eat has been selectively bred for generations mm-hmm. and now we have technology to kind of go in and alter the dna a little bit but to me you know the two practices aren't that different um but that you know they, and again there are some examples of some really bad companies. Yeah, some you're, not, you're not talking about like Roundup Ready corn and all that. Totally, kind of yeah. Like, like there's a lot of yeah. stuff out there that's not great because of the genetic altering. But I think that the yeah. benefits of having the skill set to alter something's DNA to sort of cater or something, uh, like rice that can grow in either flooded crops or rice that can grow in either drought-stricken areas of the world, uh, it save billions of lives like over the course of our lifetimes. And so I, mm. I have I. If you had to take it or leave it, I would take it, I suppose is what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's definitely a hotly debated topic. Um, I just think, why not label the whole thing? What do you mean? Right? Like, so the, the people who advocate against um, GMO foods, they'll say, just label it. To say that this is a GMO food mm. and this is a non-GMO sure. food. And let consumers make the choice. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, they make it so much harder to buy and purchase organic food and so much easier to buy GMO foods, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, let people let people make that decision. You know, I was really impressed by, uh, you know, one of the grocery stores that um, that we have here in, in Edmonton, and they, they started putting, this was a long time ago, I'm sure, I think it's probably changed now, but um, around their eggs, they were putting, like, you know, cage and... Um, what that means and free run and free range and kind of showing all the different options and just labeling everything. Mm. And so it really, and you eggs know, is I'm one of sure like what... the most confusing things. Like there's so many different ways to say something that sounds good, but is not good. Totally. Yeah. And so, so at least providing some uh, awareness about what that is, I would assume that some customers, you know, did a double take or a double read of, of, okay, what it means to actually be caged or what free run means as opposed to free range mm-hmm. and, 
and why you would pay that extra money. But just let consumers decide, right? If we talk about a free market system, the same people advocate for, um, okay, not having the labels are probably the same people who have benefited and advocate for a free market capitalist society. Well, uh, let's do that then, right? Yeah, I have no no problem with that. That's my big thing with that. Yeah, no, and I I have no problem with that, with proper labeling that actually allows consumers to make a smart decision because it's really hard. I have a buddy who runs a company, and he produces this product there's 100% made in Canada. Every single piece of this product is made in Canada. Mm. Um, it's assembled in a small town in Alberta. Like they, I don't know. And but there's there's a lot of competition in this industry, and there's a lot of companies who don't make their things in Canada, who make them overseas. Which whatever, that that is what it is. The problem is the companies that don't make their products in Canada can make their labels look like they make their products in Canada. Mm. And so he has a distinct competitive advantage because he is 100% making his things in Canada. He's doing it responsibly, um, and he can prove all that stuff. And so on his label, it says made in Canada. But other companies can say assembled in Canada. They can make their entire product overseas, Mm -hmm. ship the last two pieces, have a machine put it together here, and they can say assembled in Canada. And they can have just as big Mm -hmm. of a maple leaf on their product as he can – and there's a thousand different ways to make it sound like something is made in Canada when it's not made in Canada. Totally. And it's, yeah. So he has, he's been really rallying um, governments to have stronger restrictions around labeling practices because, you know, people want to support smart consumers, but, you know, A, people can be lazy and, and not do all the research that they need in, into a product. Sure, that's one point. But people are busy. I, like, I go to the grocery mm-hmm. store. Once a week, actually, my wife has been doing most of shopping lately, but like we go to the grocery store once a week and we buy hundreds of things and I, I can't research all these things. And so mm-hmm. stores like the one that you've mentioned that make it much easier for the consumer to make an informed decision and labeling practices in general and the legislation around um, labeling practices, 100% needs to be clarified, needs to be um, made sort of as simple as possible so people can actually make a conscious consumer decision on what they're doing it's it's really really murky right now so anyways i agree 100 percent that that you know that there should be some facilitation for consumers to know exactly what they're buying and to be able to um, incorporate those factors into their purchase decisions 100 percent there's this uh one of one of these products makes me really laugh it's called uh, i think it's called like europe's best i don't know if it still exists i remember like I don't know, nine, 10 years ago, seeing it on the shelf. And it's like frozen, might be frozen like vegetables or frozen fruit. Anyways, it on the cut on the, on the front of the packaging has a beautiful like farm and just looks like, you know, Western Europe and just, you know, really you turn the back, it says product of China. Yeah. Right. But the company is called Europe's best. Yeah, right? totally. Like, and, well, and there's companies who, will name their company uh, geez what's the example here there's some there are some specific examples that i used to know that are kind of have slipped my mind but for example there could be a farm in china called made in alberta mm-hmm. made in alberta farms and so they can it, it's all over their product made in alberta farms but it's it's not made in alberta it's made wherever it's made not alberta but because the the company's name is made in alberta it's all over it. So you think, okay, well, this is made in Alberta because it says right on it. And then that's not the exact example, but things like that happen all the time. It's it's absolutely infuriating. Wasn't McDonald's like 100% beef? Wasn't that a thing too? Where the 100% uh, beef was actually the name of like a company or something like that? And then they, people people found out that actually it wasn't truly 100% beef and it had all this kind of filler and... Yeah, no, that, see, that, that would surprise me. So just stuff like that, right? Like, I mean, we, yeah. I think that having smart consumers, I don't know that there's a downside to having informed consumers and to have them, you know, be able to sort of put their money where they feel the best. And, you know, there mm-hmm. are, the thing is there's still going to be people that are buying those things, you know, that maybe don't align with other people who have the ability to maybe pay a bit more for certain products. But there's always going to be that market, no doubt. Um, but I, yeah, I think absolutely people should be able to know what they're buying before they buy it. And some of it certainly is like, if you look hard enough, a lot of the stuff, you can find the answers and, you know, there are people who do take that effort. Um, and so some of it's laziness, some of it is the sort of legislation around, uh, I think labeling practices, 
but uh it's a it's a tricky thing well yeah and and i also understand that with you know it's hard to put everything on a label or a package like there's so much space that you have to compete with mm. like in you know as they design these things i know i think the nutrition facts labeling like you can only get so much otherwise it'll take up space from the rest of the product and that was like a legislative thing so there's lots of things that governments and companies sort of have to consider but but man this is to me this is contributes to the mistrust that people have in a capitalist society right because i mean there's there are a ton of benefits to a capitalist free market society but these are kind of these are the things that really irk people and make people feel like okay government has to have a heavier hand on things you know yeah. and want people to you know we're seeing this you know more and more sort of autocratic societies are developing across the world i mean it's not because of labeling of gmo and non-gmo foods but the premise i think exists to a lot of things which is like you know free market capitalism is sometimes screwing over the small guy because you know they're not really representing their information in truthful ways or or like you said with your friend and and you know oh we're actually having jobs in canada we produce these things but this company in china can mislabel something and say it's still kind of assembled in canada or whatever like people get pissed off of these things right and and if you leave it to like i think with paper products there was a um I think it's FSC, the Forestry Stewardship Council. I think there there was a, a um, an effort to kind of label these products in a sustainable fashion. So if it had this F this FSC label on it, you knew that they weren't harvesting timber in like riparian areas, and they weren't harvesting timber mm-hmm. in habitat of endangered species and whatever, right? And so they had this label across these paper products as, "Yep, we're FSC certified. We're we're good to go." Mm-hmm. And people and consumer behaviors started to. Um, uh, lean towards this reliable criteria that was stamped on all these products, right? Well, of course, what happened was now that there's another criteria that's come out. I think it's called the SFI, maybe the Sustainable Forest Initiative or something um, that looks the same. It looks very similar as a lot of similar words Mm -hmm. as as the other label, but it's it's nowhere near as thorough and robust and all this stuff. And I might have those mixed up, but, you know, so that's any time that there's a dollar to be made by looking like you're doing something, People are going to find a way to sort of mimic what you're doing um, to kind of make that money without having to go through all the rigor of whatever these sustainable practices that, that you're practicing. So there has to be some form of regulation around it, and governments are probably in the best space to do that. Um, but it's a it's a tricky area to you know to to kind of play in. Um, but anyways, so going back to GMO foods, I you know I agree with your point that people should be able to know when something's GMO and when it's not. Did you see Seaspiracy, that documentary about? Uh, oh. It's on Netflix. It's anyways, it's worth watching. I mean, it's a, it's like some documentaries that can be kind of sensationalist, um, and maybe there's some things that are misused. But there are some things that I had no idea about, which just just pisses you off, right? So, for example, tuna, right? There's a big issue of uh, in order to catch tuna, you gotta uh, tuna need fish to eat but the other competitors for some of these fish are dolphins and so they show footage of um of fishermen in in japan actually you know purposely slaughtering the dolphins so they don't eat the fish so that the tuna can eat it Mm -hmm. so now there's like Mm -hmm. a certification that talks about dolphin free tuna right well they go the guy goes and digs into this more and he finds that the dolphin-free tuna, the guy, the people who are certifying, they say, well, no, we can't 100% trace this. There's no way we can do that. And so what's your label about? Well, they can't stand behind their label. But they have this everywhere, which is like dolphin-free tuna, dolphin-free tuna. It's just, you know, yeah. I talked to I talked to um, Tiz, uh, co-founder of Zazibean, about like the fair trade stuff, right? Because that was about fair trade chocolate because I'd seen another documentary talking about how these certifications are all bogus and they're all phony and, and you can't trust fair trade certifications. And she, we had a conversation about this and she said that there are some certifications that aren't as rigorous. And so she talked about hers and she said, you can hundred percent trace the beans back to the farm hmm. because issues with some fair trade um, certifications is like they may only want like 50% of the, the beans to be traced or whatever. Um, but some certifications are much more rigorous. But the thing is, is that like, unless 
I had to purpose, I talked to the, the co-owner of, of a chocolate company to really understand that. Not everyone has access to that oh, kind of stuff, yeah. right? And so how do you know, so I completely agree with you, like maybe there's a role for government to play in terms of saying, these are the different kind of certifications, here's how they rank up, because how are people going to know, right? Like it's just, yeah. And, and companies will say, well, we labeled it. We labeled it, and people have to do their due diligence to find out. But it's well, just but then you're just impossible. back to where you started, right? Like, yeah, and with exactly, tuna, yeah. it's insane because that's the, that's like eggs, where every single can of tuna has a different sort of thing to make you feel good about the tuna you're buying. And my wife mm. looked into it, and I can't like you know sort of what you could maybe rely on the the most as far as certifications for tuna. And I think it was tuna that's caught with line and pole fishing. Because the, because they aren't using mm. nets, and and so the nets are where all these animals get you know get caught mm-hmm. and slaughtered mm-hmm. and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. and and just the waste from the nets too. Right? Totally, so, yeah. But so there's yeah. certain kinds of tuna that are the that the labels more trustworthy than others. But it's it's the same thing as what we were talking about before with the you know sustainable forestry practices with the with coffee with chocolate mm-hmm. with you know with all this stuff. I mean, what for every one certification stamp that these companies can get, there's a hundred that aren't nearly as um, as sustainable, likely, or as beneficial to the, you know, to the countries where these products are coming from, or you know, to the practices that are used to kind of harvest these resources. I don't know. It's it's a slippery slope, and so you're sort of back to you know, like Europe's best versus all, uh, made in Alberta, or whatever, because it's the same. Like you can, because you can trust Europe's best company as much as you can trust half these labels, probably more than half mm-hmm. these labels, and so mm-hmm. it sort of puts you in the same conundrum. And now you're looking at the labeled company and sort of these criterias uh or these certification stamps that are on them you're like well okay like wh- <laughs> like what do i do here and you know for people that like, people have busy lives and that's sort of a cop-out but it also isn't i mean you need to be able to well if you're buying 100 products every week how are you gonna know right and no way so that's no nice way. when certain stores will go out of their way to kind of help you with those decisions but not every store is going to do that the, most people aren't shopping at these stores anyways because generally places like that are probably more expensive selling organic food or whatever it is. So it's a tricky conversation. I don't I don't have the answer, but I think it's a you know, institutions like governments have the legislative ability and the long-standing nature um you know, like the government of Alberta probably isn't going anywhere in the next 100 years. It might, but I mean, our, we're probably not going to lose our democracy anyways, and so there's going to be some form of government that can you know, rule over these things so our acts and regulations are likely going to persist you know, uh, beyond our lives anyways. So that, so that position of, of regulatory power and the, and the legislative tools to sort of enact those policies, I think puts governments in a pretty good governments in a pretty good way to, um, in a, in a pretty good position to sort of enforce these things. But it's, I don't know. I, I haven't done a ton of research into it. So I don't really know what I'm talking about, but that seems to me to be. I mean, the other, the other problem though is, unless governments have the experts working inside to be able to, you know, let's just say, yeah, chocolate. Okay. So you have all these fair trade company, if fair trade certifications, government's like, okay, here's the, the best and most stringent. They have to have people who are in the inside to be able to tell them what to do. And I was reading, so I'm, I'm, I'm oh, this Obama book is taking me forever. <laughs> you were uh, talking about this Obama I'm book still, for like oh my five goodness, months. It's, well, it's just I don't get time to always read this thing, and it, but I'm I'm in the last like thirty forty pages, but there is, but one thing that he did talk about was the two thousand eight financial crisis, and I was really curious to hear him talk about that, and he essentially said because the 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 flank he gets from the uh, from the from, from the left is that how come no one lost their job, how come no one went to jail like all those executives, and totally I feel I feel that way. And, you know, we didn't rip, didn't completely transform Wall Street. He had the opportunity to, or his presidency did, and nothing happened. And he talks about that he couldn't necessarily do that um, because the consequences would have been so severe for the United States' economy. And he's thinking about all these, you know, the people who, to no fault of their own, are suffering from this, and it's just going to make it even worse. Um, just for transformation. But the other piece is that government didn't necessarily have the expertise to be able to 
lead and control that transformation. And if he got rid of those those people who were responsible for the crime in the first place, there'd be nobody, there's no backup capacity to be able to actually um, do the kind of reforms that people wanted him to do. Mm. I remember you, and so you... that's like, that's like a bigger, that's like a bigger problem in general is that industry sometimes has so much expertise and power that government doesn't have. And so you rely on all these third parties to provide yeah. advice and be able, and I mean, we know this working in government, but just generally like, and so I just feel, I just feel like even if government went out of their way to try to um, square up, okay, what's the best label or what's the best certification or whatever that you have to have industry involved and industry is going to have so much knowledge and power on that, on that topic that, can you actually, you know, do the reforms and, and do the transformation that's really necessary to achieve the objective that you want? So. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I remember because you talked about that with, with Amanda Janoon. and she mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. how Iceland did the exact opposite. They just let the big banks fail and didn't help anybody yeah. out. And I keep meaning to look into that. That's so interesting to me. I haven't done any research into that, but that's something that I keep meaning to look into is, you know, there are countries who and this isn't really talking about certifications at all but just kind of on a bit of a tangent with, with the man's point yes um i don't know i i've been meaning to kind of look into that and, and sort of see uh see how that because when you talk to people they're like oh we like he couldn't he he just couldn't do it like he couldn't put these people in jail he, he couldn't you know it's it's so complicated and all these things and so to hear a man to say nobody knows how it works and it's uh and you know there are countries that, that didn't let these big banks, um, you know, didn't say that that they were too big to fail, and they put people in jail and all this stuff. I keep meaning to kind of look into that. But yeah, you're right. I well, mean, I think I, the I think the I think the problem though, and I don't, I mean, I don't know, but it, like he does what I what I appreciate about it, again is he he went into sort of his detailed in, um, experience into it, but he's also relying on the advice yeah. of people who have worked there, yeah. right? And and so they're saying that, and that's based on their understanding. Unless he has a firsthand account of like this is exactly how it is, he could press on questioning and be like, "Are you sure, really? We can't do this. There's nobody there." And they're like, "No, Mr. President, there's nobody there. If we get rid of these CEOs and these VPs or whatever, nobody. It's like everything just falls." Mm. Um, I mean, what do you what are you supposed to do in that case? You're you're dependent on your best advice. You know, yeah. uh, you're yeah. just not going to, I mean, you, you could be a complete renegade and, and completely go against, you know, the expert advice. But I think Iceland's also a different story. I mean, you're talking about the U.S. financial system, which essentially has an impact around the globe. I mean, Iceland has a bigger, has a much more, has a larger capability probably to reform itself. I mean, it's the same thing with the Canadian system. Like, yeah, we have some big banks. We are able to isolate ourselves from the 08 financial crisis. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I would assume and not obviously being a financial banking expert, but you can't compare Iceland's system to the United States, right? If you left, if you let the United States banking system completely fail and go to shit, it's going to affect, uh, like the entire world, right? Yeah. But I wonder if you're just delaying it. Like, I wonder if by not doing anything at the time when you have a chance, it's going to happen anyways, just years down the road maybe i don't know well significant reforms did happen it's just that people it's it's just that you know if you're somebody who you know lost your complete retirement lost your home you want people in jail you want people you want people to die you know what i mean like you you want you want blood on the street kind of thing like that's probably the feeling that you have and to know that nothing happened in that regard is is completely unacceptable but it doesn't mean that financial reform didn't happen, mm-hmm. right? Like there was legislation that actually put in protections. And um, I, I don't know if some of that was kind of reversed under the Trump administration, but stuff did happen. It's just that it doesn't from a, it doesn't compare, right? It's not front page news compared to if those Wall Street executives were handcuffed and put in jail forever, right? Yeah, so. yeah it's not quite as flashy headline. Anyways, I don't really know anything about yeah. finances. I don't really know anything about governments either. So I'm not... <laughs> So I don't know why I'm sort of pushing back on some of those parts because I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to the vast majority of that stuff. But I think it's an interesting case, though. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, understand sort of what happened in Iceland and how they were able to do it. Um, because, yeah, something needs to change for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, good. So what else is going on? Fasting in the books? 
Well, almost in the books. One more sleep. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, we've been. Uh, I've been working with. Uh, it feels good to build something. Let's just put it that way. So I built even. A, I built two rain barrel stands, and that feels really, really good. I know we've talked about like masculinity and yeah. like you know it's a fluid definition and it's not like the traditional thing. But I will say to build something with my hands feels really, really so good. satisfying. So I'm kind of proud of myself. Yeah. So satisfying. Good for you, buddy. Especially because like in the sort of work that a lot of people do behind desks, like you and I do behind desks, you mm-hmm. put all this work and effort in half time, whatever, like it, you know, the it's, or the results and impacts aren't quite as tangible as something that you built with your bare hands that you can sit and look at and wrap your knuckles on and test how sturdy mm-hmm. it is. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've got into woodworking a bit over the last couple of years, built a deck last year and I've, you know, I've worked with it over my, you know, summer labor jobs and all that stuff, uh, in one way or another, but I've just sort of gotten back into it a little bit and it's so satisfying. Like, it's just, um, I, I absolutely uh, like understand that sentiment and it's almost like the value of, of work and working with your hands. And, um, I don't know if it's really, really satisfying. So I'm glad that it... I find tradespeople. I find tradespeople brilliant. Like the people who can make things, oh, yeah. find them so brilliant. Like when we got our uh, our basement renoed, our uh, contractor just you know framed the entire basement in a day. Right? I mean, he's a carpenter by trade, and I was like, I was like, man, this is like you did this so quickly. He's like, oh, this is nothing, right? And obviously, like somebody who doesn't work with their hands sees that, and it's just it's just brilliant. But what I find is just like. The ability for for you know whether it be a plumber or a carpenter or whoever um, to just see something and be like yeah yeah okay I can make or like see a design and be like yeah yeah I know how to make that right and just like for me I have to like follow everything like a recipe and if I like I have to look at the numbers again and I'm I'm, I'm I, I literally need somebody to tell me step by step because I can't think three four steps mm-hmm. ahead like it just does not click. And it's it's incredibly frustrating. So yeah, to be able to to be able to make something felt uh, felt good. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I just it's, it's funny because I, I made I made the the second rain barrel stand and it was kind of supposed to be on a slope. And so Avina comes out and she's like, "Daddy, that that doesn't look right. Get out of here." <laughs> Nobody asks you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so ah oh, man, good for you. That's sweet. I just read this book called um, Shop shop class as soul craft uh, and the mm-hmm. subtitle is an inquiry into the value of work i think and basically yeah it's this guy who uh, he had a job uh, with like a political think tank in washington he's making a ton of money and all that stuff but he just couldn't he just didn't like he's a good writer like his the writing in the book's wonderful and um but he left it to set up like a um uh, a mechanic shop for vintage motorcycles and the, and the mm-hmm. whole book is sort of around sort of this value of working with your hands and what all the benefits of that are and how people like, like uh, people say that, you know, the world's going to be automated soon enough. And so there's, you know, people that, that work with their hands are going to be obsolete or whatever, but he, he's just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard because what machine can, can come into your house and diagnose a plumbing problem or what machine can like come into your house and diagnose mm-hmm. a problem with your, you know, with your, if you have, something wrong structurally with your house, like what machine can just come in and do it and then, and then just fix it. Like that's like, there are certain problems that you, or certain jobs and certain things that we're always going to have in our homes, uh, that they're always going to be issues with. They'll very likely always be difficult for some machine to sort of quantify and understand and then figure out how to do it and then actually fix it. And so he, he's like, people need to get away from, uh, this idea that you need to, you know, sit behind a computer and, you know, sort of work with your keyboard and all this stuff. Cause yes, some of those jobs are valuable. Some of them are obsolete and not needed at all, but there are certain jobs mm-hmm. in the trades that will never go away ever. And that work is incredibly satisfying. Um, so he just talks about sort of all, all the benefits of that. And it was really, really interesting take on it and really interesting, um, way to sort of look at, how you're spending your time and how you make your money and what you can feel good about versus maybe what you don't feel so good about. And I don't know, man, even if you were a carpenter and you fr- you'd framed a thousand houses, that thousand and first house, you know, that you had put the walls up and it was, and everything was square and, you know, so your lines are square and everything's plumb and it all just comes. I can't imagine it doesn't get less satisfying. And you don't mm-hmm. like walking away from something that you've done. You're like, I did that and it looks really good. And it's going to, 
stand the test of time and it's great work. And I know it's great work and I, I, I did it with my hands and it feels really, really good. I can't imagine that that goes away. Whereas, I, and, you know, there are jobs and he, he, he talks about it with this political think tank in Washington where he's just like, I didn't, I put all this work in and late nights and stressful and all this stuff. And then, you know, he said that there's one of the things that was difficult for him is when you get on, on an elevator with somebody or see somebody, they ask him like what he did. And he would try to explain. And he said every single time, five, ten seconds in, their eyes would glaze over. He's like, because it's it's this, it's hard to conceive and it's hard to explain because sometimes we don't even know what we do. Like we mm-hmm. can't even you know, succinctly say what we do. But now he's like, I'm a motorcycle mechanic, and people in, like they instantly understand it, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have questions about it. Um, anyways, there's a lot of benefits, you know, to working around a keyboard, and not. But he really creates this. He he really argues. For working with your hands and sort of this skill set that can only come from doing things that can only come from knowledge that can only come from you know doing something a thousand times and he has a lot of examples about the intricacies of working in motorcycles built in the 1670s and 80s and um i don't know really satisfying book to read and really really interesting angle to put it from and um really made it sort of put words to how i feel when i build things or whatever i mean it's just so satisfying mm-hmm. Did he talk about 3D printing at all in that book? The book was written in 2009, I think. So I, I don't okay. think it was a big part okay. of it. No, 2009, 2010. Okay. Uh, he, he he could touch on it briefly, but I, I don't I don't remember him talking about it. Yeah, because it's I mean that what he's saying. It's hard to argue that. The only thing I was thinking about is like as more homes become like 3D printed and machines kind of build these things, can it get to a place where in order for it to be fixed? Maybe you don't need a human. Maybe a machine can fix it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. I don't know a lot about three D printed homes. Uh, you know, to be honest, and I all I know is that every house in every house I've ever been in in Edmonton is built with wood, <laughs> and is and was framed by somebody. And um, yep. you know, it's 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 all like you know, concrete foundation, you know, wood framed in walls, insulation, yeah, for sure. like drywall, and all that stuff. Like. In our lifetimes and the next couple of lifetimes, I don't know. Um, I, I can't imagine the need for human labor going away anytime soon. 3D printed homes, though, you got to tell me more about that. I don't. I didn't even know that was a thing. Oh yeah, no. In in um, that's happening throughout the states. I just saw uh, in parts of Africa. What are they like? 3D printing? 3D printing. Like, what is it? I don't know what the actual material is. It must be obviously something that's durable and that can hold or whatever. But the entire the entire walls and framing and everything, it's a massive machine that actually like pours in goop or whatever and, and, and it's printed out or whatever. Awesome. Now, I don't know what it does for like things like plumbing and all that. I'm assuming that has to still be that maybe that can't be 3D printed, but 3D printing is is an absolutely disruptive technology and it's going to, um, it's probably going to take away a lot of jobs, and a lot of those tradespeople are probably going to lose jobs as a result of. Now, the, I mean, the benefit on the consumer side is that if you can produce something that's just as durable and high quality, um, the costs are going to be so much lower. Because mm. right? so, I, I mean, I understand that so like three D printing will print these houses and stuff, but I imagine the houses will have electrical needs, will have plumbing needs, will have structural needs to be fixed and stuff. Like somebody's got to come and diagnose that stuff. And I guess I mean cars now, like you can plug a little thing in it gives you a code and you can look it up and tells you exactly what's wrong with it uh even when like you buy a used car you can buy one of these little code things and like throw it in the car it'll tell you what's wrong with it somebody still has to fix it though so i i would wonder if the 3d i'm sure there's still parts of it like you can't avoid an electrician probably i don't know Hmm. i'm assuming that would be the case i'm you would have to have somebody who does the inspection but even automobiles right like tesla's come such a long way to to making most like I don't know what I want to say, sixty to seventy percent of their vehicles are completely done by robots, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have humans, which they say that there there are certain tasks in making a Tesla that that a human has to do that a robot just can't do. Um, and maybe it's because of the dexterity or or whatever that a human has that a robot can't achieve. Um, yes. But still, even if a, even even if like a home can be seventy percent built by a machine. You take away so much of the human labor mm-hmm. and and human skill that's required, right? So that's going to be disruptive to to no labor doubt. for sure. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I just get myself a little three D printer and I could print some cool things. I don't know what I print, but shoes. Maybe print some sick shoes. You apparently print anything. Insane. 
Apparently, there's like you can paint guns, which is super yeah. Scary. I remember seeing like some future like years ago, some like Law and Order show or something where they were like that was the thing. Like this guy like three D printed That's this gun, and was it yeah. was it the guy that three D printed the gun who was guilty, or was it the guy that made the plans available to, to like three D print the gun and guilty mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it was? But yeah, no, it's uh, so I guess in like will you in the future. Will you like buy like a three D printer? Well, not the future, probably now. You own a three D printer, and you just buy somebody for the for the plans. So, or sorry, so like you yeah, just like pay thing, somebody dude. online who's designed this thing, and then they give you the plans that you can then flip over to your printer, and your printer just makes it. My understanding that's already a thing. Like, there's <laughs> cool. a huge uh, sort of free market kind of open source thing where people share their plans for all kinds of three D printed objects and. And yeah, that's that's already kind of happening, cool. right? Like I think, yeah, super so, cool. I'm so I'm so not technologically, like there's people out there just like these guys are idiots. Like of course that's happening. Like that's been happening since 2014, you morons. <laughs> uh, it's like that scene in Zoolander where you you probably don't know this, but no, the the files are in the computer scene. You ever seen that? Uh, they send these two guys in to steal this computer because there's important files in it but they send male models because that's the whole thing about this movie is like male model. Anyways, so the male model takes the computer and it's like one of those IMAX, like the first IMAX, like you know what I'm talking about? And he mm-hmm. grabs it into like in in front of all these people because he wants to make the villain look bad. He like grabs the computer. And he's like, the files are in the computer. And he goes <laughs> to like smash the computer on the ground so all the files like would come spilling yeah. out of the computer and everybody would see right. all these files. He smashes it and looks, and everybody's like, "What do you think, you idiot?" He's like, "Where all the files go?" <laughs> Anyways, I I feel like that guy <laughs> when it comes to technology. <laughs> the files are in the computer. Um, that's probably what I sound like when I'm talking about 3D printing. Uh, I mean, it's rel- still relatively new, unless you actually are in that space. Nah, or not at all. it's not going to be. I mean, 3D printing homes has probably been maybe the last two or three years. Like that's still fairly new, Decent, right? right? So, Isn't that the word. Yeah, nascent, nascent technology. Yes. Aqua yeah. smart. See, yeah. But so the, so now the word people love us. The 3D printer people hate us, but the word people, yeah, they love it. Although maybe nascent is yeah. like a word you learn in grade nine, and I'm just <laughs> sound really sophomoric right now. I think that's a I think that's a ten dollar word, man. I work with two dollar words <laughs> all the time. So. Yeah. I'm more from like the the penny word bin. That's where I'm finding my words. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, well, buddy, it's. Uh, we should put a wrap on old Epi, Epi 24. Um, Thank you for helping me get through yeah. an hour where I didn't have to think about my fasting, which is really nice. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's so. good. I mean, um, you know, for those who, you know, maybe like, well, you guys didn't bring the energy, you know, to this episode that you normally do. It's because look at Rupesh. He hasn't had food in 24 hours. You know, he's... Uh, He's a robot over there. I was still pretty sharp, though. No, it was good. It was good. You didn't, like, just stare into the camera and drool or something, which is probably what I would have done. But So, yeah, so you were still really, really good. Um, I'm proud of you. You know, this is – I'm sorry for people listening who who made it all the way to the end. The first 20 minutes was me not understanding what a water fast was. So, (laughs) let's – all right. So, if we recap, water fast people hate us, think that we're so stupid. 3D printing people hate us, think we're so stupid. Word people – probably don't like us because we think they like us and they're using much bigger words than we're akin to so probably just who watches this who watches this just anymore? made just made enemies this episode it's like the <laughs> thing where in 10 years we're billionaires because we have an episode that goes viral we get elon musk on and he smokes a blunt like he did with joe rogan and we get like billions of views and people go back and watch the old stuff those people are the mushrooms ones is a about. new thing mushrooms is a new thing we got to get elon musk on our show and do mushrooms do mushrooms with michael pollan have you ever watched michael pollan on joe rogan yeah i was actually just he was just on right i, I think I just, i'm listening to it right now oh so. yeah look and he he's been on yeah. a couple times before so like michael pollan and oh, actually okay. we were trying to wrap up the episode but michael pollan wrote all these great books like in defense of food and omnivores yeah. dilemma and all that stuff apparently he's now he's now taking that same like journalistic approach to um hallucinogenic drugs and so he wrote a book mm. called i haven't read it I don't know, open your mind or something like that or how to open your mind i can't remember um okay but so him and joe rogan were talking about this stuff and he talks about mushrooms a little bit um anyway so yeah so we do an episode of mushrooms i don't really know anything about mushrooms but i'd be happy to talk about it. so yeah yeah it's like an, it's like a huge emerging thing like people are uh there's companies out there now openly 
you know, selling this stuff because of the health benefits, apparently. So yeah. it's uh, it's like cannabis is like old, you know. Stuff. Old news, man. Old Just news. like us. Um, well, hey, buddy, all, you know, Godspeed here in the next uh, 12 hours or so. Hope it goes well. Hope that bone broth tastes good and then that big old belly so full of waffles whenever you get it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I appreciate you taking the time in the middle of this and happy to be back and happy to catch up with you. And um, yeah, let's. Uh, Let's chat again here in an upcoming episode. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate, Appreciate it. you. See ya. Yeah.